0: Oh, God's good, isn't he? We just praise God for his glory and his love. We're here this morning because we we love God, or maybe you're just thinking, well, what are all these strange people doing, singing songs of love to this God, this creator? But when you've met him and you've experienced him, you cannot but express your love, your thankfulness for what God has done for us. And you know what, the church in the UK may be small at the moment, but when the church is small, God calls us to be faithful and more faithful and to seek Him more and desire Him more and to, to come closer into His presence and to live for Him and live by his, his order, His rule, His kingdom. And God says He will bless His church in a situation. That's good, isn't it? I think that's encouraging, you know, that when the when the church is starting to shrink But when the church has been faithful in that moment when it only seems that there are a few who are faithful, God says, I'm going to bless you and open a door and I'm going to take you into a, a spiritual place that you've never been before. Who wants to go to those spiritual places they've never been before? Who's tired of religion? I want the spirit of God. I want to walk through that open door into the glories of heaven. I want to have open heavens come above our church. And when we worship, we experience God and God in his fullness. And not just what we make God to be. Or want God to be. Or write God down as we want God to be. But we want to be caught up in the spirit so that our words are inspired by God. So we speak forth in power and authority an anointing that is transformative, that breaks change, that sets people free, that brings hope in life. Isn't that amazing? I remember Reinhard Bonnke, he was speaking, he's a great big evangelist all over Africa and, and around the world, and he says, it's incredible, he says, because the words that God speaks I speak through my mouth. He said, that may sound like heresy, but it's true. The words that God speaks, I speak for through my mouth. That's incredible, isn't it? Because when the Spirit of God uses us and speaks through us and opens our mouths, we speak the words that God wants to speak. And when God speaks, what does God do? He's creative. He's transformative. He changes. He opens up. He brings opportunity. He, brings, he changes lives. And so we have an amazing power within our mouth, within our lips, within the words that we can form that can be transforming and changing. And so we come to the book of Revelation in chapter 3 and verses 7 to 13. And it's a message to Philadelphia. And I'll read through it. First, and as Rob said, it's not referring to Philadelphia in America. It's a, this is a church in ancient um, Asia. Open up the doors to, of the church to the wider world. And it says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Look, I have set before you an open door which which no one is able to shut. I know you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but are lying, I will make them come and bow before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word of patience, of patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole earth to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have, so that no one may seize your crown. If you conquer, I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God. You will never go out of it. I will write on you the name of my God, And the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, that comes down from my God out of heaven. And my own name, and my own new name, let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So are we ready to listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches? Are we really ready? Or are you just falling asleep now? Just a bit you kind of switch off and go... I'll be finished soon. Get home. Got my roast on. Just got to go through this part of being a Christian, the torture of listening to the to the sermon. But this is the but we want to hope that through the words that I speak, and that's why I pray anyway, that the Spirit of God will speak to the church. The Spirit of God wants to speak to you this morning, I'm sure he's going to speak to you all in very different ways. That's the wonderful thing about a sermon. It says many different things to many different people. As the Spirit of God works upon your life. But the Spirit of God wants to say something to you this morning. So be excited. Be ready. Be open. Be prepared. You are the church. Not the building. You are the church. The people are the church. And God is going to say something to you this morning through His Spirit. Now Philadelphia was a small but it was a faithful church in contrast to the The mainstream kind of mega churches of Lady Osea and Smyrna that we heard about before. Lady Osea and Smyrna were like the hill songs and the Bethels of the ancient world, you know. Everybody said, oh, don't, don't go to Philadelphia. Go to Smyrna. Go to Lady, go to Lady Osea. They're there far better churches. Their worship bands are great and this and it's fantastic. It's an amazing experience. Oh, the songs. It's, it's incredible. You've got to go there, you know. But it's incredible that, it was those types of churches, God blessed them, that God had the most to say about and the most condemnation about because the the churches that had compromised most with the world around them, they'd become relevant and big in many ways because they had compromised with the world. And so God condemns them and says, you know, you've compromised, you've given up your first love, you've you've sought after the world, you've you've compromised with the world and you've let the world in the church. And that's what God says, first of all, to the churches. You lose your first love. You lose your first love for God and it just becomes religion. Then when you lose your first love, then you start to compromise with the world because you don't see any difference between your faith, what God's called you to be, with the world around you. Then when you compromise with the world, you let the world in the church. And the church starts to be shaped and And like the world around it, and not any different. And the church starts to be influenced and act and live like the world. And and there's no holiness, there's no submission to God anymore. It's just compromise. And eventually, the church is neither hot nor cold. It's lukewarm. And what does God do to a lukewarm church? He spits it out. Sounds harsh, doesn't it? But God's not messing. When God speaks to the churches through His Spirit, He's calling the churches to repentance. He's calling them to turn back to Him. He's calling them to be faithful, to submit to Him, to live by His values, His authority, His power, His Word. And for their lives to be shaped by the Spirit of God and God's Word and not by the influences around it which are so powerful. And so we have Philadelphia. They're a small church. There's not a lot of members in it. There's a church that's struggling. There's a church that's suffering. There's a church that's got hardship and difficulty. But they keep going. And they keep seeking God. And they keep worshipping God. And they keep honouring God, even though there's challenges all around them from the Roman society, from the Greek culture, from the worship of idols in the temples, from all these um, trade guilds that are going on at the time where they have to go to these trade guilds. And if you want to have a job and you want to have a career, you have to go and sacrifice incense to the emperor. And you have to go and worship in the temple. And then you have to take part in sexual immorality after that worship in the temple and take part in orgies and such things like that just to get trade deals. And the Christian said, We can't do that. We can't compromise with the world in that way. But it cost them greatly. It cost them their jobs, their livelihoods. It cost them their homes. Many were put in prison. Some had lost their lives. Other ones were in so much hunger and starvation because they couldn't get work, because they would not submit, they would not give in, they would not say that Caesar is Lord. But they said, Jesus is Lord, He is my provision, He is my purpose, He is my will. It doesn't matter what I have to go through, I'm going to remain faithful to that commitment of Jesus, amen? And so Philadelphia is a church like that They're saying we're staying faithful to Jesus. Even if people are going to Laodicea and Smyrna because they're compromised in the world and it's much easier to be in those churches. We are going to be a church that's faithful and submit to God and be in God's word and love God. And Jesus looks in this church because he's going round all the churches. And he looks at the churches and he looks at their works. He looks at how they're living. He looks at how they're worshipping him and serving him. And he speaks his words over them of repentance or judgment or blessing. It is amazing in this small struggling church he's speaking words of blessing. Amen. And he says at the very beginning, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia right. These are the words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. Now that refers back to Isaiah 22 and verses 15 onwards. It's referring back to um, King David's palace. And there was a man who was the palace administrator, and his name was Shebna, And he was the person who was in charge of King David's palace. He had the keys to the kingdom of Israel. If you wanted something to happen in Israel, you talked talk to Shebna. And if Shebna said no, he said no. And if Shebna said yes, he said yes. If you wanted access to the king, you went through Shebna. And if Shebna said, you can have access to the king, you can have access to the king. If Shebna said no, he said no. This is a very powerful uh, person who had influence over the King David's palace. And who had influence over um, the whole of Israel. And he could make things happen or he could stop things happening. But he became corrupt in his power and his authority. He was supposed to be a servant, a steward, who looked after the palace, who looked after Israel, who cared about it. But he actually started looking after his own interests, his own cares. And he started to build himself a a big, um, what do you call it, a big grave, a big um, monument to himself. So when he died, he would have a lovely grave to be buried in. And that people walk by, oh, there was the steward Shebna, look at his grave, he must have been a very important person indeed. And God says to Shebna, I'm going to wipe you out, you're going to be gone. There's a time coming when you're going to be taken down and someone else will take your place. And he's not very nice, he says says to him, Thus the Lord says, the God of hosts, Come, go to to this steward, to Shebna, who is the master of the household, and say to him, what right do you have here? Who are your relatives here that you have cut out a tomb for yourself? Cutting a tomb out on the height and carving a habitation for yourself in the rock. The Lord is about to hurl you away violently, my fellow. He will seize firm hold of you, whirl, whirl you round and round, and throw you like a ball into the wild, wild land where you shall die, and there your splendid char- 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 chariots will lie. God's so angry with Shebna, the way that he's acting, with the privilege and the authority he's been given. He said, I'm going to grab you and I'm going to whirl you around. That's amazing. You can imagine God's Spirit grabbing Shebna and going, whom, <laughs> You're out here. It's hard to think, isn't it? It's a bit like you know, God's so angry at somebody that he would grab them and whirl them around and throw them into the desert and leave them there to die and leave their chariots to rot. But that's what he says, going to Shebna, because you've misused your authority and your power. And he says, I'm going to put in Eliakim, And I will clothe him with your robes and bind his sash on him. And I will commit your authority to his hand. And he shall be the father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And I will place on his shoulders the keys of the house of David. And he shall open and no one will shut. And he shall shut and no one shall open. I will fasten him like a peg. So God says, I'm going to raise up this righteous Person Erechim and he will take over the palace of David and he will rule with justice and authority and when he shuts the door no one can open it and when he opens the door no one can shut it and he's a peg he says that you can hang yourself on that you can rely on that you can depend on but he says even Elachim, at some point that peg will be pulled out and even if you rely all your inhabitants all your wealth all your trust everything on Elachim, he's going to appear a peg that falters because there's no one you can rely on but here in revelation says god has raised up jesus and God has given Jesus the keys to the kingdom of God, to the palace of David, to the kingdom of heaven, to the kingdom of Israel. Jesus has the keys and the authority and the power. And upon Jesus, you can hang your life. Upon Jesus, you can trust. Upon Jesus, you can rely on. Upon Jesus, you can put your inhabitants, you can put your ancestors on, you can put your, your future on, you can rely everything on jesus he's the peg that you can trust he's the peg that you can put your life on he's the peg that will never falter he will be the peg that never gives way he's the peg that you should trust in and no one else but jesus christ because he has the keys to the kingdom of god and the power and his authority and the kingdom of god and god's presence and god's spirit doesn't come to a church unless jesus opens the door and if jesus closes a door then it's closed but this church here in Philadelphia, God says, I've seen how you've been faithful. I've seen how you've committed to me. I've seen how you've dedicated yourself, even though you're small, even though you're struggling, even though you've found it hard. I've opened the gates of heaven to you. Isn't that amazing? I'd rather be a small church which has the gates of heaven open it to you than a large mega church which the doors are closed and pretend to be religious and spiritual, wouldn't you? Because I want to chase what it's like to have an open heaven. I want to hope, I want to know, know what it's like when Jesus opens those doors to heaven and they open up and we have the resources of heaven coming upon us and within us and within our lives and our churches and we stand up for Him living in the power of the Spirit of God moving with the resources of heaven within our lives. Breaking chains, setting people free, bringing hope, transforming communities, transforming churches, transforming cities, as God opens the heavens to us, as God opens the door. Because that's it, we can try, and we can try as hard as possible to get excited, enthusiasm, all the things we want to do. And we think, will that open the door? Will it open the door? No, it won't. What opens the door when the church is faithful and committed to God, and God sees that commitment, and God says, I'm going to bless you with an open door? In Heaven you know if you 've got a shut door in your life, if you 've got a door that 's shut to work, employment, you 've got a shut door to a family situation, a heart, a pain or sickness, and you want that door to open. There's only one person that can open that door for you. That's Jesus Christ, amen. And so, even in our own lives, we've got to seek Jesus. If we want to move forward spiritually and we want to become stronger and better and more faithful to God and love Him more and be more committed to Him, who's going to open that door for us but Jesus, isn't it? But we've also got to be aware when we're not faithful. When we're not committed to God, when we don't love Him, when we don't seek Him, when we, when we become occupied by the world around us and our circumstances and our situations and our families and all the things that are going on. And we don't read our Bibles anymore and our prayer life goes down, we become religious, our spiritual life becomes dry, we lose our first love for God then the door's close, don't they? The doors close. But Jesus says, That's not the reality I want for you. Who wants, wants to live with closed doors in their life? It's a bit annoying, isn't it? You try and get through the door, what Rob said, you try to find a way in and you can't do it. It feels like a Christian life sometimes, doesn't it? That you're going so many times and there's so many doors closed and you're saying, God, why aren't the doors open? Why isn't there a way forward? God, why can't I get through this moment? But God tells us how we can do this this church in Revelation to Smyrna. We've got to be faithful and committed to him. That he will look upon us and he will say, I see that you are faithful and I'm going to bless you with that open door. And that door that Jesus opens for you, no one can close. And that's the incredible thing, church. When Jesus opens the door to us, nobody can stop us. Nobody can close it. Nobody can come against us. We can move on in God's power and glory and authority once that door is open. We had a prophecy last year when the, the Brazilians have been, were here last year, and we had a few different prophecies about, about dams and different things that God's ready to, to burst the dam, but we keep on sticking our fingers in it, and the dams like stopping the, the spirit of God moving through the church. But I think a powerful one we had was when we had this. Um, it was a person in Brazil who didn't know us as a church or anything but just gave this word of prophecy to Pastor Wesley. He said, tell the church, I see above them two brass doors which are shut. Two brass doors that are shut. Now I think we just found the answer why they're, why they're shut. But it's, God's, it's not God's plans for us to have above our church brass doors that are shut. But God Christ's desire is to open those doors and to bless them. Who wants to have open who wants to have those doors opened in this church? Yeah, three people take ten, twelve, fifteen, six going up, this going up, well. You know, but it's not it's not up to me, it's not up to the worship band, it's not up to anybody, it's up to you as a church. Every person here, you are the church. Are you ready to open those doors to heaven? Are you ready to have Christ look on your life and come down and say, I see you. I see your life. I see who you are and I love you and I'm going to open those doors to heaven. I'm going to bash through those brass doors and when I come through those brass doors, those brass doors will never shut again. Amen? And when those brass doors are open, there's nothing going to prevent ever again the glories and the blessings of heaven being available for this church and this place and for little over. But the glories and the power and the healing and authority and the Spirit of God will flow in this place. But are we ready to be that faithful church? No. Yes, Jeff is. Why not? Give it a try. <laughs> it's exciting. Are you ready to be that faithful church? Because if we don't say yes, if we don't say yes together as a body of Christ in this place, we're just going to carry on with doors shut. And I, I'm bored, I'm telling you, I'm fed up. I'm fed up. Like, like Sardis, like last, last week, he said, he said in the scripture, you look alive, but you're dead. How many people feel that way? You look alive, but you're dead. <laughs> How many churches do you go in and they look alive, but they're dead? You know, at least when, when we were in Kent, it was more obvious. You know, the the churches all look dead. You know, the buildings look dead. The people look dead. The, <laughs> everyone looked dead. But when you come to Derby, it's a bit deceptive because you've got really nice church buildings around here, isn't there? There's lots of new buildings. and But you walk in through the new buildings and the, then it's Dead. It has the image because you see the buildings, you see what's there, you see investment. But actually, spiritually, it's dead. And if we're going to impact the society for Christ, we have to stop compromising with society. Because... If the church is just like society, why would society want to come here? That's what's always confused me. I always go to these church growth things and other things. Oh, you've got to make the church more like society, then people will come. But why? People have so many alternatives for meals and food. You know, I think we now have in the Methodist Church a dinner church. Ah, yeah, it's amazing. Dinner church, come and have dinner. You know, We'll attract people by giving them dinner. And I actually, they might just meet Christ. fantastic if that happens. That's amazing, but when I get to the point where we actually have to bribe people to come to churches, <laughs> we're getting to a point where we're maybe going down the wrong track. But I want to be the type of church that's so overflowing with the power of the Holy Spirit, that's got an open door to heaven where the resources of heaven are flowing down where we as a church are coming in here and we're so impacted by God that it while I walk through those doors and God healed me, God set me free God unbound me, God turned my life around, God gave me forgiveness, God gave me hope I can't stop crying because of the joy that God's put in my heart that's the type of church, I want to be the church that comes and says I love God so much that I just have to be there in church on Sunday morning, I have to worship him I have to glorify him because he's so overflowing in my heart and my soul my spirit, I can't help it you know in Alpha of course we always do things, we're doing the Alpha this week and people come and we always start off with the evidence you know, did Jesus exist look at all the, the texts of the old of the New Testament that prove that Jesus is alive and lots of people come and they come with questions and, they, and most people have explored the evidence they've looked at the evidence this side against, they've looked at the evidence this side for But when they start to hear people talking about being set free by Jesus Christ, people experience forgiveness and new life, people's lives being turned around from alcoholism and hopelessness and despair, people finding new joy and hope, people who, who have found forgiveness in Christ and then go back and ask their families for forgiveness for all the hurt and pain they've caused them over the years, then you start to see the people start to twitch. I can deal with the evidence, but this evidence is too much because it's right in front of my face. This person's been transformed. This person's been changed. If this person was really like this before, there's something significant happening here because I've been broken for 40 years and nothing's changed in me, yet this person's met God. And 40 years of brokenness has been changed and transformed in a moment like that. That's the God we know, isn't it? That's a God we experience. That's the faithfulness of God. That's the joy of God, the hope of God, the God who transforms and changes. But it's so easy to sit in church and we're all respectable now and we forget who we were and where we came from and who we would be if we hadn't met Christ. God forbid who I would be if I never met Christ. I'm so glad I met Christ. I'm so glad He's in my life. I would not want to go back and be anyway or live anyway without Christ in my life. One amen. Do you feel that way too? Well, yeah, yesterday I did, but today... (laughs) Yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I'll make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not but are lying, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you because you have kept my word of patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming from the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. You see, the people in philadelphia you know they were suffering persecution it was difficult to be a christian it was not easy to see that jesus is lord it was not easy to be excited because you'd met jesus and were overwhelmed and excited and want to tell your friends and people around you because it cost you your life your livelihood and your job but the people there they were faithful they'd done it, it didn't matter what the cost was they shared their faith they talked about god they talked about the impact of god in their lives but there was others who were part of the community who knew Christ and met Christ, but because it was so difficult and challenging to be a Christian in that society, in that culture, that they compromised. They either gave up their faith, or they went and pretended that they were Jews in the synagogue. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Because they were facing persecution, they didn't want to quite, up, quite give up God, so they went and pretended they were Jews in the synagogue and started to worship in the synagogue because they knew when they worshipped in the synagogue, they wouldn't get persecuted. Yet they were worshipping and being with the very people in the synagogue who were turning the Christians in to the Romans and to the authorities and to the powers. Because the Jews didn't like what the Christians were doing, bringing people to faith, changing people's lives, bringing transformation. So they started to turn the Christians in to the Roman authorities. And the Christians were just living peaceful lives. But the Jews were turning them in. This is what the society were living in. Not only were they being persecuted by the Romans, but they were being persecuted by the Jews. And they've got brothers and sisters Who were who were part of their church, who are now worshipping in the synagogue of Satan, who are now worshipping with the Jews, to avoid persecution, to avoid pain, and probably even turning in their own friends to the authorities. Can you imagine that? What a terrible situation to be in. But Jesus said, You know what? You're in a terrible situation, but I'm going to turn it around. I'm going to turn it around, because God always says, I'm going to turn it around, doesn't he? He's the God of turning around. He's the God of blessing. He's the God of authority. He's the God who says, it won't stay this way forever. He's the God who says, these people who are turning you in, these people who are coming against you, they're going to come and bow your feet, because they're going to see how much you love me. They're going to see how much you love me. They're not going to come and say, you were right. You had the right evidence. You had the right idea, you had the right liturgy, you had the right worship. They're going to come and say, I see how much you love God, and I cannot deny that your life has been changed. Your love is so deep, your love is so powerful. We just have to come and bow and say, We want this God. Isn't that amazing? That when we that people will come to Christ because they'll see his love in us. He'll see his love over. Within us. And in the midst of difficulty, challenge, suffering, and pain, the Christians in Philadelphia were overflown with love enjoy and, and the hunger, and the persecution, and the pain, and the loss. They were overflowing with love because they'd met the God of love. They'd met the God of salvation. And no longer was it about temporary need. No longer was it about jobs, or food, or satisfaction. But it was about the heavenly reality that the heavens had been opened to them. The door to heaven had been opened. They'd met the living God. They'd encountered Him, and their lives had been transformed forever. And they were filled with love, and power, and authority. Which transformed the community around them because people could not deny that something had happened in their life that had filled them with this love. And if people look at us as a church, let's hope the one thing they will say as we go on and seek God and be faithful to Him, that they will say, I can tell you, I don't know much about Jesus. I don't know about Christianity because a lot of our generations don't know anything about church or Christianity anymore. But one thing I can see, this church, these people, this community is filled with people who are transformed and changed and renewed and have incredible stories about God in their lives and they're filled with a love that I don't understand and can't get. Because my reality is not like that. My reality is, Get for myself. My reality is consumerism. My reality is agnosticism. My reality is atheism. My reality is get everything for myself. My reality is buy things to make myself happier. My my reality is I don't have identity, so I'll make up identity politics and give you make up identities, you know. So because you have to make them up, because the only real identity is in Jesus Christ, isn't it? The only real identity is in Jesus. We die to ourselves, and we live in Christ and Christ lives in us and transforms us and changes us and renews. And you know what? There's only so many generations who are going to be happy with consumerism, with secularism. Atheism's had its time. Agnosticism had its time. People are looking for identity. People are looking for spirituality. People are looking for God. People are looking for the answers. People are looking for hope. People are looking for joy. People are looking for something beyond this life that they know they are more than just this physical being and you have the answers you have the answer and what are you going to say Jesus 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 he's the answer I've met him I've known him and if you but come come but come and say to him Jesus make yourself known to me make yourself real to me come into my heart and speak to me you know that's what I say to people in Alpha you know I could argue all day with you and I could argue with them all day about the facts of the Bible and and the universe and creation and all these things. I could argue with them about evidences all day, but I just said to them, do you know what I want you to do? I want you to leave this place and I want you to go and pray. You may not know what it is, but that's just talking to God. And I want you to talk to God and say, God, if you're real, if you're real, Make yourself known to me that I may experience you, that I may have a relationship with you, that you might speak into my brokenness and my heart and my pain and set me free for this years of cycle of brokenness and generational pain that's been on my life and set me free from the loss and the bitterness and the hate and the anger in my life. Set me free from it. I've had enough of it. And if you can set me free, Jesus, set me free. Amen. Amen. And Jesus is the only one who can set you free. Jesus is the only one who can give you life. If you're broken, you're hurt, you're angry and you're lost, it's Jesus. If you're sick and you're struggling, it's Jesus. And you think you have nothing to tell people. You think you know nothing about the Christian faith. That's all you need to know. If you meet somebody who's not a Christian, just say, well, I can't argue with you, I can't talk about it much with you, but do you know what? Why don't you just pray with me to ask Jesus to talk and make himself known and real to you? Can we do that? Can we do that with somebody this week? Can we do that with somebody we know and say, look, I don't want to talk to you about religion and all this stuff in church, but I want to talk to you about Jesus. And I just want you to go away after this conversation that we've had and say, Jesus, make yourself known to me and come into my brokenness and make me whole. And as Rob says, I'm coming soon. Hold fast to what you have. Hold fast to what you have. You have Jesus. You have life eternal. You have a beautiful gift that that, that very few people in Britain have today. Hold on to it. Hold fast to it. It's precious. It's beautiful, your faith. What you have in Jesus is incredible. Hold fast to your faith. Don't give up for anything. I know the TV programs you watch, the radio, the politics, and all the things that influence you to think and act in different ways. But hold on to your faith. Hold on to Jesus. Hold on to that first love. Hold on to what he is. And he will give you, he will give you a crown. And when you hold fast, it nobody can take that crown. As Rob says, the only time you're going to take that crown off, and when we go to heaven, it says we're all going to have crowns. That's amazing, isn't it? We're all going to have crowns. But the weird thing is, when you get to heaven, you're going to be so overawed in worship you're going to grab that crown and you're going to take it off and you're going to lay it before Jesus because he's just so incredible and amazing and wonderful and you're going to worship him. You're so worthy. I don't deserve this crown. Take it back. And he's going to go, no, have it back. Take it back. Have it back. Take it back. And you're going to spend the whole heaven saying, take it back. No, you have it. Take it back. Have it back. Because you're so overawed in worship and power, you just want to lay that throne, that really right, lay that crown before Jesus and say, I'm not worthy of it. You're worthy of this crown. You're worth my life. You're just incredible. I can't believe I'm in heaven before you, worshipping you and you're Glory in your presence. I can't believe I'm here. Just take the crown. Who cares about the crown? Have the crown? No, take it back, it's for you. Imagine that for eternity. Not even Jesus is going to take that crown away from us. He's going to keep even when we say we're not worthy, he says, No, you're worthy because I died to make you worthy. I gave my life to make you worthy. I made you worthy because you're a child of God. And the world tries to tell you you have a different identity, but you are a child of God and you're loved. And that's your identity. And don't let anybody take that away. You are loved by God. You're his child. You just don't recognize it yet. And when you open your spiritual eyes, you'll see who you are. You'll see who you are in your heart and your soul. Because that's what Christ died to make you, a child of God. And he said, I will write on you the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from my God out of heaven. And my own new name, let anyone who has an ear listen to the church. He says this, he says to Philadelphia, you know the church in Philadelphia. It was a church that was, um, it was a, Philadelphia was a city that was established by two brothers. And um, there's a couple few stories around it, but the nicest story is, That um, the the youngest brother, Atlas, um, didn't turn his his brother into the Roman authorities. And he saved his brother from being killed. And um, so they named, so he named the city after his brother, which was Philadelphia, which means brotherly love. So Philadelphia means brotherly love. There was this love for these brothers between each other. And that's, that's the name of the city. It represents that brotherly love. But it was also called New Caesarea. It was given numerous names over history. And but Jesus says, I'm gonna give you a new name. I'm gonna write my name on you as a church. You're not the church in Philadelphia anymore, you're the church of Jesus Christ. You're the church of my love, my hope. You're my beloved. You're the new Jerusalem. You're the new heaven. Because I'm going to open that door that brings heaven down. And that people will see that you are the new Jerusalem. You are the place where God dwells. That you are the sanctuary of God. That you are God's hope for the future. That you are God's blessed one. That you stand firm in that love. And God says, I'm writing a new name upon this church. And God says to you, I'm writing a new name upon your life. Isn't that amazing? God says, I'm writing a new name upon your life. You are my beloved. I love you. You're my child. You're the new Jerusalem. You're the open heaven. You're the blessing for the society. You're the blessing for Little Over. You're the blessing for Derby. You're the people that are going to transform the world around you because I put my name upon you and you represent the glories of heaven and the joy of our Father in heaven. He's given us a new name. So we have to stop looking through our physical eyes and start to look at our spiritual eyes because when John prayed, and we go to chapter 4, John goes straight away into the spirit. And God is telling us to look at each other. And I want you to look at the person next to you and look through, look at them through your spiritual eyes, not your physical eyes. If you look at your physical eyes, you go, <laughs> but look at, look at the person next to you with spiritual eyes and proclaim over them what they are. They're beloved. A child of God. A kingdom maker. A way maker. A person who's going to bring healing and anointing and rejoicing in the world. That's what you are. So start to look at each other through spiritual eyes and not our physical eyes. And let the heavens open for us and for this church. That these doors, these brass doors, that Jesus is going to kick them open with his big heavenly foot. And we're going to see the glories of heaven descend on us as we are faithful to Him. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, just pray that You will bless us and be upon us. Help us to be that faithful church like Philadelphia, Lord, even though it was struggling and hardship, even though there was few people there, Lord, that You looked on them and You blessed them and You opened the heavens for them. And Lord, that You made them a gateway To the whole world, Lord, that from Philadelphia, the whole of the ancient world was reached. Philadelphia was known as the missionary church, the church that transformed the world around it. A small, faithful church in which the heavens were opened, through which the whole of Asia was claimed for the name of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we pray. We pray for our church that you will put your name upon us. That you will make us a new Jerusalem. That you will open the gates of heaven to us. Lord, that the doors that you open, the opportunities that you open now, no one will shut. And Lord, that you will open all opportunities in our lives now in the name of Jesus Christ. And Father, that you will make us that gateway like Philadelphia, a missionary church, Lord, that will be sent out to claim this region for Jesus Christ. In his name, in his power, in his authority, we pray. Amen.